Good morning. It's Monday, August 30th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. We're talking winners and losers from week zero in just a second with Carl Reed, one of our new national college football analysts for 24-7 Sports. Carl is also the head coach at the powerhouse De Smet Jesuit in St. Louis. He won his first game as coach on Friday night, so he's a big winner for us as well. We're going to talk about Nebraska, Illinois. Should LSU be scared of UCLA? Where the heck are all the UCLA fans? And, and what are we going to do with UConn in the long term? Carl's got some solutions for all of that, including a suggestion for Nebraska that made me interrupt him. I was like, what? Him? As a coach? That guy? So I think you're going to enjoy it. It was a great Saturday of, of college football. I think I had a really fun fun afternoon, early morning, watching Illinois, Nebraska. I didn't watch the Max Swack Challenge, uh, but North Carolina Central stunned Alcorn State on ESPN. I'm, I've kind of had the recording of that on Sunday morning. I went to an NFL preseason game to see Justin Fields. So I, I didn't watch that, but football all around. I cannot wait for this week. It's going to be incredible. So yeah, just get prepared. Get your bets in. Get, get your storylines going. It's time to learn a lot of stuff. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Carl Reed. Okay, bringing in Carl Reed right now. Coach, we're going to do winners and losers from week one. You're a winner. You won your first game at DeSmet Jesuit. So congratulations. Just before we get started, will you just give everybody here like a 20-second elevator introduction of, of who you are and, and you're a coach and you're an analyst and, and you played at Austin P and in Tennessee and, and all that stuff. Carl Reed, head football coach at DeSmet Jesuit High School here in St. Louis. Uh, this is my first year here. I was the coach at Lutheran North. Prior to that, we won the state championship in 2019, played at Austin P, and now I'm working as a college football analyst as well with 247 Sports. That's right, Carl. So Nebraska, we got to do Nebraska first, huh? Like, And winner, a winner from that game is, is Brett Bielema. It's the college students are back. It was great to watch that game on television. It was Art Sikowski, who's statistically just like one of the worst quarterbacks. Uh, like the 2018 season he had at Rutgers was dreadful. He had one game where he's two for 16 with four interceptions. He was awesome on yeah. Saturday, stepping in for Brandon Peters. So they're all winners, but we got to start with with Scott Frost and, and Nebraska. Like I think he's obviously the biggest loser of Saturday. The Nebraska fan to fan base so bad for a fan base that it's not even week one. It's week zero, and your season already feels kaput. They should go uh, win their next two games, and then they play Oklahoma. It feels like the beginning of the end. I'll say it. You don't have to. What did you see? There were miscues all over the field. Like It, it didn't look well coached to me. So from your vantage point, what were you watching? Well, I think that Nebraska at some point, going all the way back to, to the glory days up until now, they've kind of lost their identity of what they are as a football program. They've been power running, great defense is what they built it around. Scott Frost is a great football coach, but sometimes things are not a good fit. And so this is one of the things you have to look at when you bring back an alum. Scott Frost was having a lot of success down at Central Florida. He was he was running the table and he was, he was really excelling recruiting those guys out of Florida. It's hard to get those kind of guys to come to the University of Nebraska. You've got to kind of play a different way. You recruit a different way and it just hasn't been a good fit so far. I think that um, that Scott Frost has a lot of good football in front of him, but it hasn't been a good fit at the University of Nebraska. 
Nebraska's a proud program and they expect to compete for championships, but right now they're a little ways away from that. Yeah. Do you think it's salvageable this season? Did you see anything? I, th- I thought the defense played well until they were kind of out of it. If, if that makes any sense, like Adrian Martinez, I don't get it, Carl. He's like 75 yard rushing touchdown. And then the next play is like doing something mind boggling. Um, special teams are clearly an issue. We had the, this, uh, the punt safety. We had two missed extra points. It wasn't good. I know the fan base was like, what was our running back usage on Saturday? They have some receivers that like, they all got from the transfer portal. And I know they're high on Samori Torre from Montana. I think he only had three catches. Like Thomas Fedoni, uh, the tight end, who was the top ranked tight end in 2021, like he's hurt. And you mentioned the Florida recruiting, like all those guys, uh, 24-7 Sports is Brandon Marcello did a story on that. Like most of the Floridians that, that Scott signed, like they've all left. So we'll do long-term here in a second because I think you have a good point. But short-term... They're going to get waxed by Oklahoma, but do you see anything salvageable on this roster? Well, when you talk about salvageable, you know, you got to try to win the games that you can, the winnable games that you have on your schedule and take it one at a time, right? Because the season is long and we've, and, and I've learned over my career and over the course of watching football, you don't want to count a team out after the very first game of the season. Lots of things happen over the course of the year, um, but you do have to improve. You got to keep turnovers down, right? You have to be able to stop the run. You cannot make mistakes in the kicking game. And if you can clean those things up, there are some games that maybe maybe you could win, but it's but it's a tough deal. You're in the Big Ten, probably one of the top two or three conferences in the country, and it's it just not an easy road ahead. If Scott Frost, if this doesn't work out, are you sort of hinting toward Nebraska going back to the like be like a Wisconsin or an Iowa light? Yeah, run the if ball. I was, if I was Nebraska, I would go get Jeff Monken or Paul Johnson. You know, um, I was talking to a group of guys yesterday who said I was crazy. Um, Paul Johnson. Could, oh man, yeah. Paul Johnson, man, the king of the flex ball. Nebraska is a community, is a state that power running, option football. That's their identity, and that's who they are. And the further they've gotten away from that, the less successful they've been. That's who they are. And that's the way to recruit guys in that area that not going to be able to recruit against the power schools across the country for the best four and five star skill guys in terms of perimeter athletes. I'm telling you, they they got to bring back the power run game. But the, the issue with the triple option, though, and you, you're so qualified to talk about this, is it's the recruiting element, right? Like, Carl, would you send a kid to the like, you're not going to send a quarterback or receiver out there? If they're running the triple option, do kids want to even want to play in that? Well, you don't need a receiver. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah, but <laughs> if, if, uh, you you you'd send the you'd send the quarterback there who would be great at running the triple option. I mean, you will be able to recruit to that. There are tons of high schools and powerful high school programs in the country that are running wing T and triple option based offenses. Most of the teams that consistently win, if you really studied it throughout the country, are running some form of that. And so there's going to always be plenty of kids who want to division one scholarship to a big 10 school i guess to your point the georgia tech has totally retooled their roster and and got in a great ace recruiter and jeff collins and they're still waiting for the wins and it's it seems almost unlikely they would reach the the heights of the paul johnson era illinois tough game against utsa next don't don't count out the Roadrunners, carl what, what did you like about uh, this team and uh give me like what would your biggest winner be brett would it be sikowski would it be your guy, Isaiah Williams, the, the quarterback turned receiver who who you called to turn heads, and he, he certainly did. Who's your big winner for the Illini? Well, you got to start with the coach who's kind of putting it all together, Coach Belima. When Coach Belima came in and he met with the high school coaches in the state of Illinois and in the metropolitan area of St. Louis, he had a plan. And, when we, and it's kind of like when we talked about 
Nebraska earlier, you know what Coach Belima's identity is. He's going to play a power run game. They're going to play action pass, and they're going to be sound on defense and special teams, and they got that accomplished. The second thing he did and the second winner that I think that you have to recognize is, is Isaiah Williams. Isaiah Williams, who was a Ballyhood recruit, he was at the top of everybody's list. He probably could have went anywhere. He went to Illinois for the chance to play quarterback. They moved him to receiver, and it's really opened up things in the offense. I know the offensive coordinator, Tony Peterson, said last week that he's changed the complexion of their offense um, by moving the receivers. He scored a touchdown, and, and he, he made some great plays in the passing game. Stadowski at quarterback, you know, you're talking about I, when I was watching the game and Peters went out, I was thinking, oh, my God. It's, it's over. Be, it's, 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 <laughs> oh, yeah, it's going to be a rough one for Illinois. But he stepped up, and he played big, and he really – he really redeemed himself, you know, and, and he really played a good football game. And, and you got to at least at that level, the backup quarterback always has to prepare like the starter. And he did that, you know, so he's a he's a big winner in it. So I think overall, Illinois is trending in the right direction. But with anything else, it'll come down the ability to consistently recruit. I think you saw guys like Ford at tight end, like Isaiah Williams at receiver. Uh, Reggie Love got some carries at running back. There were some key guys playing and making plays that are in the areas that Illinois recruits out of. And so when you see guys, when other high school kids see those guys getting opportunities to play, it bodes well for recruiting. Switching over the West Coast, I don't know how much you watch. I, I was kind of excited about it, and it was such a bad game almost from the jump, Carl, that I, I really didn't stay too locked into UCLA versus Hawaii, but the Bruins won 44-10. to 10. That was a 17.5-point spread. Zach Charbonnet, Michigan transfer, 106 yards, three touchdowns. six. That's on the six carries, so that's 17 yards a carry. Hawaii was absolutely dreadful um, at tackling. They, they just couldn't stop them. The, the big picture implication here, though, is obviously, yeah, the winners of UCLA. If you're choosing a loser for this game, it's Hawaii's tackling, and it's the Rose Bowl attendance which was announced at like 32,000, but it just was yeah. not that. And I get it. It's week zero. It's Hawaii. It's it's hot. You've got, you know, still, you know, COVID concerns out there as well. But LSU is going to flood that. I mean, that's probably a poor choice of words uh, with, with what they've got going on with Ida this week. But if the LSU fans can safely make it out to Pasadena, they're going to pack the Rose Bowl on Saturday. That line has already moved from, from UCLA plus four to UCLA plus three. So people are kind of buying the Bruins right now. Do you think LSU should be worried based on what we saw from UCLA on Saturday? Well, Chip Kelly's a good football coach, and it was a good opening win for him against Hawaii. And I think that everybody's looking right now for him to take that step at UCLA. After the dominant program he had at Oregon, where they were running some crazy like 100 plays a game, and before he went off to the NFL, it seems like everybody in the country is kind of running some version of that offense, so it's not as uh, groundbreaking as it was back then. But Chip Kelly still does need that signature win at UCLA. And uh, when you got LSU coming in the town and LSU was coming off a down year too where they got to kind of recover this is the kind of game where we'll see if the UCLA program and Chip Kelly has them where the expectations are for for what they did to get Chip Kelly at UCLA yeah I know the LSU defense was one of the worst in football last year they retooled everything they've certainly got the talent but I don't know like like is Derek Stingley and Eli Ricks like those guys are superstars at corner but are they ready to stick their their nose in the chest of Zach Charbonnet I mean that it just feels like a and I, it's so weird that I'm saying this about UCLA, Carl, like that, that there's just this going to be a physical component to this game. And yeah. maybe I sound like an idiot because LSU is from the SEC, but it just it just seems like this is this. Yeah. To your point, this isn't like some flashy, you know, 
vertical passing UCLA team. Like it's it seems like they they're gonna want to try to run the ball down LSU's throat. Well, Stingley isn't gonna be the guy that's gonna be making those tackles in the box. You're gonna be talking about the LSU front seven. And one thing that I do think the SEC play such a physical and powerful brand of football. I couldn't imagine them having, you know, a lot of trouble of seeing anything that they haven't seen before. But at the same time, if UCLA can get their running back going, it could put the game up in the air. Last one, or I'll just rip off the rest of the scores. Fresno State blitzed Hawaii or uh, UConn 45 to zero, UTEP 30, New Mexico State three, San Jose State 45, Southern Utah 14. Fresno State's kind of good, but UConn, Carl, like, has UConn ever recruited with you? Well, they, they don't recruit in St. Louis. Uh, we we did talk about a couple transfer portal kids a year ago, but this is not one of their recruiting uh, footprints. Fresno State does some recruiting out here because Kalen DeBoer and William and William Mins, uh, who's the defensive coordinator there, they were at Indiana, and so we have a great relationship with those guys. And William Inns, the D coordinator at Fresno State, is from St. Louis, um, mm-hmm. so they do a great job recruiting. The area still and. Fresno State has always been one of those really good group of five programs. They kind of went in flux, you know, whenever Pat Hill left and they're trying to bring it back. But I do think they had the right coaches there to kind of get them going in the right direction. Um, UConn has been a tough job. It's been tough for guys to win. I know Randy Edsel had some success there his first time around, the second time around didn't go as well or hasn't went as well. And, and you know, so I, I think it's a tough deal. What is the recruiting footprint for UConn? It's all about recruiting. It's all about getting guys that are good enough to play at that level, guys you can develop, and you being able to retain them academically and, and socially in your programs. Yeah, I'm like at the point where I'm wondering like what UConn's future is as a football program. It's just, you know, they didn't play in 2020. Don't blame them. They were 2 and 10 in 2019. This is, a hor- they're independent now. I just, if UConn called you, you would take that job, right? Yeah, because you just need an opportunity, right? So I think that sometimes a program like UConn, when you're thinking of hires, you got to start thinking outside the box and not just reach for it with guys that have the same the same plan. You got to think outside the box hires and give yourself an opportunity to kind of do something different and give some guys a chance. There we go. We heard it here first, future UConn head coach, Carl Reed. We appreciate <laughs> you joining us, Carl. Uh, it's fun to talk to you. Have a great day, all right? All right, thanks, brother. Appreciate Carl joining us. High school football coaches probably spend all of Sunday watching film and game planning. And he was like, yeah, I'd love to podcast with you. So that was nice of him. Our producer is Lance Glenn. Lance, thanks for putting this together. Good luck to Rutgers this week. And we will not mention Rutgers again on this podcast unless they, you know, uh, lose uh, to Temple, I think. My name is Trey Scott. Let's have an awesome week. This is what we've been waiting for, for at least a year, I think. I mean, really, it's going to feel, it's going to be our best week of college football since 2019. Baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.